Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to thank you for taking time to be with us today as we provide useful information and insights to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get more, better broadband everywhere it needs to be in the U.S. Um, today will come as uh, the, today's topic will come as no surprise to folks which is the topic of uh, the, the state of broadband in urban areas. Uh, I have been hammering on this um, rather consistently for the last couple of years that uh, it's well and good that we have our focus on the state of broadband and how lousy it is for rural America, but we also have to pay attention to how bad the things are in urban America, and probably worse so in that there is an assumption by a lot of people that our broadband in urban America is just fine. Uh, there's an AT&T store and a Verizon store on every other corner, and you know they got ads all over the air, and Lord, there, there's competition coming out of the ears. How can there not be good broadband in all our metropolitan areas? Well, the reality is quite different from the image, and we're going to attack that head-on and talk about not only the uh, problems with, with broadband in urban areas, but also how do, we, uh, how do we get past some of these? How do we overcome some of these challenges? And with me today is uh, our guest who's been on the show before, Bruce uh, Kusnick, who is the Executive Director of the New Networks Institute. Uh, he has been doing a lot of, I mean, a lot of work in New York City uh, trying to improve the state of broadband there. Bruce, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's great to be on. No worries. I want to I start actually by, um, you know, the thing that I, I get a bazillion emails and, you know, always trying to figure out who's going to be on the show next, what we're going to talk about. And so this email comes across where, where Bruce had written a somewhat tongue-in-cheek uh, opening to a piece that basically starts, you know, if you want broadband, you're in luck. We've got the hunger games for broadband. You know, you only got to do three things. You got to swim across the Hudson, chanting, I want fiber. You got to pray to the gods to shine their light on so you can beg to get some broadband. And then third, you got to show why you really, really, really need a broadband connection and, and demonstrate what the impact is. Now, Bruce, this was somewhat tongue-in-cheek for all those people who have watched The Hunger Games. But the third point really is, is the crux of this thing because uh, on one hand, it's basically telling people to do what we've always done, which is you know document our need and talk about our need. But I think what the reality of how that was being addressed by the previous administration was kind of a, a like a bait and switch kind of deal where they're saying here, you know, show us that you need broadband and somehow broadband will miraculously appear. But what was the reality of that whole adventure? Well, uh, Mayor Bloomberg, the previous administration, had set up a contest um, that you can uh, win if you really, 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 really need broadband. And Mayor Bloomberg was very pro-Verizon, the incumbent uh, carrier. And so he never went, after the, never went after them to actually wire the city of New York. It turns out that under the New York City cable franchise, which most people don't know, um, it doesn't do commercial buildings. And it's not in the franchise. And so whole areas of Midtown Manhattan have never been wired. Or you can live, you can go up and down Broadway, which is the, you know, one of the main streets, right up a couple of blocks from the mayor's office and not be able to get any, any fiber optic wire from, from uh, Verizon. Meanwhile, the, the contest included all of the competitive local phone companies, but they, most of them, are using only copper. And they do Ethernet over copper, which is great, but Verizon is, has maintained that they are no longer going to actually fix the copper wiring anymore. Um, this came up, and I have to add this crazy story. So I'm, on, I'm in a meeting on East, in East 9th Street Block Association in the middle of Manhattan. This is six months after the Stanley storm. And there are people in the room telling me that they no, don't have any service restored after six months. And they've been on copper. 
And these are small businesses, one of whom you know, has DSL service, which no longer works, one of, and, and their phone numbers and all that other stuff. So their entire business was attached to the wires. And here it is, Verizon refusing to fix the wires, um, to act that, which is unbelievable. And to mm-hmm. me, this is, a, this, is, this is a pattern that we're going to see throughout the United States where Verizon and and AT&T and the other incumbents are basically going to say, we no longer are required by law to go out and fix your service. They've already removed all the quality of service requirements on us, and so if your line breaks, too bad. Now, it turns out that the uh, new administration, uh, de Blasio's office, basically has a a different approach. When uh, de Blasio was advocate, basically he said uh, he went after Verizon's franchise because Verizon had basically been cherry-picking different neighborhoods and didn't do a lot of the low-income neighborhoods. And now that he's mayor, um, he's done some opening salvos where he's, uh, his um, new, new lawyer, um, counsel, basically said that we are going to try to get lower rates for Fios customers, and we are going to try to get everybody, including the low-income families, to get wired. Um, so this is a whole new approach that basically we've not seen before you know, for uh, since uh, because Bloomberg was in you know office, I think for three for multiple terms, and so this is a fresh a fresh wind coming to you know hopefully sweep away some of the some of the issues. That's uh, a good you know I, I saw a couple of those press releases yesterday you know where he's uh, making these positive steps uh, in a second press release he's challenging Verizon in public to offer better services to low-income individuals. I mean, it seems like the difference is, you know, like night and day in, in, in terms of what you folks in uh, New York are experiencing now versus what you have had to suffer through before. Well, there's a, there's, there's a, lot, there's a lot of legal and regulatory hurdles that are going to have to happen. And uh, by the way, so this is happening in every city. I mean, you know, the, mm-hmm. the idea that these companies have been that they've given a franchise to go out and do the wiring in, in whole cities, and then basically they don't, they don't finish it, um, or the or the whole state. In New Jersey, for example, the whole state was supposed to be wired with fiber optic service, capable of 45 megabits by the year 2010, 100% of the state. And um, as a, and they only did about 50%. The cable franchise only covers uh, 70 communities that have to be wired out of 526. And as of news, two weeks ago, Verizon basically got the state to erase all of its commitments under the, uh, under the last 20-year law. In other words, we, they only did 50% of the state, and then suddenly they erased everything else. And, if, oh, and the new thing is, is we can give you wireless service <laughs> instead of right. having a wire. Right. <laughs> And, so, and, uh, and, it's the, and it's the speed of DSL, as compared to, in the law, starting in 1992, the uh, speed was 45 megabits in both directions. So in all, and, you know, and let's look at San Francisco, and where AT&T basically has rolled out UVerse, which is they pulled the bait and switch. They were supposed to do fiber optics um, in California and in multiple states, and instead they rolled out <laughs> conference of a home. And they don't tell anybody that it's copper to the home in their press releases. They don't bother saying that we're using the old public switch telephone network's wires, and all we're doing is basically like a, as if it was a road and we added some new shrubberies. Uh, you know, and, we, and we said we did an, uh, you know, an upgrade. And while you know, U-verse, and that's why U-verse can't, you know, will never hit 100 megabits, mainly because it's copper. And the reason why it was supposed to be switched out, according to them, was that the copper networks were inferior <laughs> to, the, to the fiber networks. So for the last 20 years, we've seen this erosion of you know, commitments about what they were supposed to do, but customers have been paying for it. In New York, this rate increase that uh, happened uh, where they're, pay, they're charging residential customers for major, massive uh, investments in fiber optics, um, basically nobody's checked to see if they've done anything. There's no... Uh, there's no there there about you know doing audits of the of the books, and uh, and and there's a couple of uh, secrets. Uh, mm-hmm. Let me tell you one of them. Verizon basically has been able to charge residential customers for a cable service, which is not necessarily legal. And in the research we've been doing, they've been charging customers for the fiber optic wires that are going to the cell towers, which is not legal. 
and they have mm-hmm. been manipulating their books in such a way that essentially they claim to have these massive losses so that they can go back and get rate increases, and the losses are being formed by the affiliate companies not paying its fair share back. So we, uh, it turns out that in, in September of 2013, uh, Common Cause, Consumer Union, and the uh, phone company union, CWA, filed a FOIA and a request for an investigation of Verizon's financials with the state of New York. Mm-hmm. And as of December, uh, Verizon has lost the appeal to uh, block the FOIA request, and so Verizon will either have to turn over the data or, or sue the state. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that they, what they've been doing is manipulating the books in such a way that the construction budgets are basically being dumped into the utility, and all of the other services are getting a free ride. Mm-hmm. And charging grandma for, for the development of Fios and the development of, of the wireless service. It's, it's, you know, and, and, and by the way, in New York, just so you know this, rates went up, local rates, regular phone rates went up 598% since the year 2000. Wow. That's based on phone bills. And that's because, and, and, and so, um, you know, the, the, what, what used to cost 8 to $10 now costs 53 or more. And um, I don't know the numbers in front of me, but, but essentially what they've done is they basically let all of these separate charges grow in, in costs. Um, I think it was something like $5 a month for just uh, being unlisted. Um, and this is ridiculous. This is, you know, this uh-huh. is unconscionable because that costs nothing. It's zero. And nobody checks. The, there's no more. There's no more audits. The company's been been manipulating the bookstore. It looks like they have all these losses, but the affiliate companies aren't paying their fair share. Right. So the next, I believe. So I believe the next step in New York is going to be let's audit the books. And that to me is one of the major things that De Blasio can do, and maybe he will do. But the truth of the matter is, is the data is very is very straightforward. There's uh, been, we found reports by Verizon New York about their uh, cost expenses. And uh, those books, which have never been seen before and have been hidden from the public, um, are now going to have the light of day. And that's, that, that's basically the first step in, in, in many respects as far as moving this kind of effort of turning around the situation. You, you start with opening the books and showing the paper trail because if we put this discussion in the context of activities such as the uh, all these legislative actions in state houses to uh, fight municipal networks, all of these claims that you know there's there's plenty of competition, all of these claims right. that um, you know it's unfair for you know a government entity uh, you know to be be putting taxpayer dollars at risk. So there's a, there is a talk being talked, but what you're describing is a reality in which they are, you know, obviously worse perpetrators of the things they are railing against. Well, the, uh, the, the, the bills that you mentioned in the, in the state, such as uh, closing down, getting, you know, blocking the municipalities, the municipalities should have just basically sued the shit out of these guys, period. They should have, went, they should have went, went, into the, went and demanded the books and, um, and, and saw what was going on, and then basically they should have had the, their networks upgraded because they paid for it. And the truth of the matter is most of the municipalities have never really stood up for their own rights, um, which has been a problem as far as, as, far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, there are some municipalities that have basically said, okay, we're going to go out and do the wiring. But they had rights that they were been taken away, and they didn't have to be taken away. And in a lot of states, they were requirements to wire the cities, and they and they could have went back and gotten you know confronted this, the the uh, the state instead of being what they've done is most of them have said we're going to do a workaround because the company is not there. My take is is the wiring is all there and it should have been upgraded. You paid for it, get it. And I think this is I think if we start doing this in New York, which is you know going to going to happen, uh, I think other cities may wake up to the fact that they have rights that have been trampled on, and they should not be sitting around and letting the bullies you know bully them. This is uh, and especially considering the the amount of hanky panky going on with the numbers. A couple of things: the FCC stopped collecting data in 2007. The phone companies have stopped publishing their annual reports uh, since you know 2003. The, uh, and the stuff that we found, basically, was uh, stuff that probably should not have been up. 
<laughs> but it was up, and we found it. However, mm-hmm. you know, there's never been an audit in the last uh, 15 years of any of the phone company's affiliates by the FCC or the states. The last one I know about was 1997 in California, and that showed massive cross-subsidization. Uh, the, the auditors found $1.3 billion that had been dumped into the local you know, in, in the cross-subsidies, which should not have happened. And none of the, so AT, nobody's ever audited AT&T's books in, say, Illinois or Georgia. And they're just not doing any. The, and the, these laws that you talk about, um, in, in Florida, they erased the ability of the commission to actually audit the books. And they've erased the, in this. I think this happened in Indiana and a couple of other states. We're basically instead of just um, saying, you know, you, you the utility um, need to be audited. These guys say, well, we can't do this anymore. We're not even allowed to collect information about how many lines there are. In Florida, the bill basically also got rid of carrier of last resort. Instead of upgrading the plant, they now say we don't have to even fix it. Rains, snows, you know, hurricanes, forget it. We're not obligated to fix your wire for breaks. Now, their argument is going to be, well, everybody's going wireless. And the answer to that is, well, no. In a, in a study that we found that was from the Small Business uh, Office of Advocacy, only 5 to 10% of small businesses actually are, uh, are wireless only, meaning there's no wire going in. All the other, as far as we can tell, um, and that number is high, as far as we can tell, it's probably 5% of small businesses have no wires and are only wireless only. Because they have a broadband line, they have an alarm circuit, and these are not being counted in any of the information being supplied but to the public. And even with the public, um, you go home at night, you don't go out and take out your iPhone and watch Netflix. You probably do it on a wire. That wire mm-hmm. is not counted as part, of a, as part of the accounting. So they use this sort of, they use this fictitious data, uh, or manipulated data, I should say, because the data is, you know, is real, except it only looks at one thing residential voice services. And nobody's counting the actual number of lines that are in service in the home. So we, they, they use these sort of, uh, I call it verbal jujitsu, where they say, you know, uh, uh, they say, uh, you know, everybody's going wireless, or they say, uh, you know, don't regulate the Internet. And then you realize that don't regulate the Internet means don't regulate the phone company's wires, <laughs> the whole wire, and so, so the people get fooled. Right. They don't realize that basically the, you know, the, the don't regulate the Internet means to the phone companies, great, we can make more money, and then we'll keep control of the wires. Wow. <laughs> that is so, a pretty – you know, one of the things I have to ask, though, is how do, how do consumers, how do consumer activists fight against the fact that the people, in, in some cases, the people elected to serve them – are basically in the pockets of the incumbents. I mean, in Kansas, you look at a case where the state legislature allowed an, a, a lobbyist to write the bill and present the bill. I mean, not, right. not, not any pretense of the, right. the legislator doing their, their job. And then you have cases where, you know, in Philadelphia, you know, this is the headquarters of Comcast, you know, and, and if, you are, if you were to try to move against Comcast, the city council would be your worst enemy. I mean, how, how do we fight that? How do we get around that problem? Well, the, the, the first, the, I, the, the, the couple of things, you mentioned Pennsylvania. Uh, yay, yay. By 2015, the entire state was supposed to have 45 megabit services to every home and office and li- school and library. Exactly. It was in state law in 90. 90- in 1994. Uh, they, they subsidized Verizon and some folks like to the tune of $2 billion to, to come to this place. Yeah, well, and, and so it's, but anyway, so what happened was is they basically, Verizon used its lobbying and got rid of the law in 2003 where instead of 45 megabits, they're only required to do 1.5 megabits. Mm. <laughs> wow. And so Philadelphia could have been wired. Pittsburgh could have been wired all along the way, which they were supposed to be done in 1997. And, this, and Philadelphia and, these other, and, the other, and Pittsburgh never said, excuse me, we pay for this stuff. It's in law. You, you know, wire this stuff. Um, so I think, I think personally the, the, the step has to be, and I, I have to say that while the advocates fight a good fight, on, but they are doing different fronts. 
Some of them, you know, care about the internet more than they care about the telecommunications part, which is the wires the internet travels over. And so you have a lot of different mixed messages coming out from, you know, uh, and, and some parts of the of the fight are good. I mean, you, you know, net neutrality, for example, you have to fight it on the internet level. But the truth of the matter is, is it really this is really about telecommunications, and these people and a lot of the players haven't really come to grips with what it really means about telecommunications and open wires versus open internet. So I think the next the next step has to be, and which is something we're working on, is confront the companies, take legal actions. There's no other choice. Right. We're, we're at the end game. We, we've lost pretty much every battle we've been, you know, in the last five, eight years. When the FCC got rid of uh, line sharing and, you know, they, they could use the line for DSL or they, and they got rid of the, you know, the uh, uh, ability of competitors to use the wires, uh, including the fiber optic wires, uh, again, wholesale rates. When they started erasing all the laws that were put into effect under the Telecommunications Act, you know there was a problem. And when they and when they erased all the data in 2007, if it wasn't for the fact that these other data, these other reports were leaked, we wouldn't know what happened. So my mm-hmm. feeling now is, with the data we have, we believe, and, and it could be that maybe New York and the city actually takes some actions, and and it leads the charge around the country. Um, and I think that would be an, an important thing. But I think it's great that people like yourself have shows that tell people about this stuff. It's one mm-hmm. way. Uh, it's it's an important piece of the of the of the puzzle to make sure that the public has information that you haven't heard other places. Right. And literally, you know. Yeah. And I think that's that's actually you know a great benefit to the public. Um, getting getting more exposure for this show, of course, is yeah something we hope to do too. Because I think mm-hmm. you, see, you know you you have great people on the show and you tell great stories. <laughs> Besides myself, of course. Well, thank you. So, thank you. Yeah. Well, I and think, I think uh, you know, what we're finding, um, you know, though it is, it is an uphill battle, you know, make no mistake about it. The lobbyists have more money and they've got more presence. But at the same time, if you look at uh, Kansas and you look at Utah, what you're starting to find is that when the public gets engaged, when they start writing letters, when the cities, uh, such as uh, Chanute in Kansas, start naming names, you know, basically calling out legislators by name in print in the media and saying, you brought this bill, you know, forward, all of a sudden, you know, people start to run for cover. It's as if the, the backlash and the public nature of the backlash becomes the antidote for the lobbyists that live in their, um, in their offices, in those legislators' offices. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, 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 and you know, I'm, I'm laughing because you know we we already lost 30 states, have changed the laws already, and right. we had 22 states have lost have, t- have decided that they don't want to have you know municipal municipality uh, competition, and uh, and the FCC is on a path for the IP transition. The only thing that's interesting to that's interesting that happened is that we lost the case about net neutrality and it woke up some of the sheep. Ah, to yeah. me, that was one of to me, that was one of the most significant things that's happened over the last couple of years, mainly because people are actually using words like telecommunications or the more obscure term Title II, which is telecommunications and the Telecom Act. And right. so they're now suddenly realizing that, you know, um, that, this, that there is something underneath. The other thing is, you know, the uh, Comcast and the Time Warner deal. Um, you know, they're the most – Time Warner and Comcast over the last, uh, you know, couple of years have been rated as some of the worst companies and the most hated companies in America. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so yeah. I, I think there are, I think there are, the people get it. The problem is, is that uh, there isn't enough shows like this telling the truth on, you know, in, in the major, and the major media basically is still asleep at the wheel. But I think right. that neutrality that, that we lost net neutrality was a really good thing because it woke up people going, what happened? <laughs> yes, and you know, I've been doing this for. I've been doing this now for. This is my thirty-second uh, year as a consultant, and twenty-second uh, year as, as as new networks. Um, and basically, what I've this, this has been one of the few times we're, we're at the end game. And, and a friend of mine, uh, Joe Plotkin, who was working in a small ISP, and we were lobbying while we were losing the battles in D.C., said to me, he "says It has to get so bad, people actually notice." So the slowing down of Netflix 
which has been you know reported recently, um, impacts the direct customer. The rate increases impact the direct customer. Um, and the lack of competition impacts the direct customer. So I think people like us, you know, who are leading the charge, um, I think, you know, we're, we're trying our best to tell the story. But my feeling is, is that others are starting to wake up going, what, what story? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. And before they, were, yeah, before they were just sort of sleeping. And uh, so that's actually a good thing. The only the, the thing that I think next, next steps are is legal actions. I don't think there's any other choice. I think that basically right. we've lost our rights. They've been ripping us off, and I think at this point in time, um, we we have to go out and uh, you know reverse that. Oh, I have I have to plug. Uh, I have a new book coming out in a month, um, which doesn't have a title yet. Uh, but essentially, the, one of the findings was that we the econo- we've lost about seven trillion dollars in economic growth over the last uh, twenty years because the companies lied to us about deployment of fiber optics. And Hold while they number. they claim seven trillion, wow. Right, and that's actually a low number. It turns out that basically what they, they – based on their own reports, they claim that a half a trillion dollars uh, a year would, would be garnered if, in fact, they had wired the, the country. And there are two separate co- stu- uh, studies that showed pretty much the, uh, uh, the same thing. So using that and reversing it from when, it, when they started uh, not rolling it out, which was 1996 – since that time, basically, and, and also you know the ramp up, um, we've lost uh, we've literally lost seven trillion dollars a year in, in annual growth. And the other thing is, we spent three hundred and eighty billion dollars uh, that was charged to customers for fiber optic networks we never got. And it's a lot worse than that because of all of this hanky panky with the monies that I mentioned with the cross subsidies, which I didn't. We've been working on now for two years. And essentially what we're finding is, is that customers are being charged for, for the dumping of expenses for the other parts of the business that shouldn't be dumped. And, and, and along the way, and we work, we're, you know, the, the regular phone customer is paying for uh, the deployment of wireless services. It's illegal. You, know, uh, you can't go out and charge customers for non-regulate, non-regulated ser- services on a, for a regulated service. Or even for a price cap service that's that's basically basic local phone service. So, and that's the reason why it went up so high because they they they, they don't pay their fair share. They dump the expenses, and so there's in New York State, Verizon New York lost 2.2 billion dollars in 2010, and they saved 716 million dollars on the federal level. That's a lot of money to lose for a phone company in the middle of New York. <laughs> Man, that's and then you can say, well, isn't, isn't Fios profitable? Right? And the answer is, is well, the Fios revenues aren't going back to, <laughs> to the losses. <laughs> huh. They, 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 in other words, they've created buckets of money where some of the buckets end up going into the pockets of corporate and other buckets go you know, to pay for other things. And the, just so you know, this Verizon... Uh, in, in the last document we found, had 367 affiliates, in a, and, in a, and, they, and they were in 150 countries. Now you could say, well, why? Why is Verizon? And, and you know, why is Verizon doing this? It's because they can. They just take the money. They, they use us. They use the utility as a cash cow, and then they dismantle the utility by creating all these separate subsidiaries, and then they move all the monies around. So essentially, and by the way, this is I documented this. This is you know I, based on their own data. I don't create data. <laughs> I just mm-hmm. use theirs. It's much easier. Well, yes. <laughs> so right. Um, so 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 essentially, what I, I think is the next steps are you know people have to wake up. The FCC basically is going to do a rip and tear into our rights. It was very obvious in the last couple of statements by uh, uh, by Wheeler that essentially he's not going to go out and take on the phone companies. And, you know, maybe I'm reading that wrong, but other people have said that besides me. Mm-hmm. So that means basically that the FCC and, co- and there's uh, two phone company-funded uh, uh, co- uh, congressmen who want to have a new bill in Congress. And uh, they are going to do the same thing in the Senate. And so basically, and to get rid of all the regulations, they're going to erase the word telecommunications, which basically means you have rights that are being erased. Because the telecommunications has rights, obligations. Like, <laughs> if your phone breaks, they're supposed to fix it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but you know, it got to, as I as I said as I said to a friend of mine, I said, you know, they are not going to close down the PSTN on my watch, which is 
the wires. You know, they, they will, they will, you know, have to grab. I'll be, I'll be holding on, <laughs> and you'll see scratch marks as they drag my body <laughs> from stopping this to happen. This is the end of this is the end of of of, of uh, I would call it my 30 years of of experience. You know, where they basically say uh, we're going to erase all the laws. They're no longer valid. Oh, there's all this competition. Well, there isn't competition. If there was competition, they couldn't keep raising rates in New York and all the other places, you know, 500%. In California, they had a 100% rate increase in the last five years. And I, and I well, think that that's what people are allowing to happen is they're allowing the continuing of this debate or this argument that's being put forth you know, and, and again, the, the incumbents run by the philosophy that if you repeat the same lie a million times loudly and with great, you know, PowerPoint and Madison Avenue fanfare, then it becomes the truth. And, and the lie that they have advanced is that there's plenty of competition. Competition is robust. Why are you even worrying? Because competition is great. And nothing right. really can, could be further from the truth. And that was before the Comcast. Um, Time Warner uh, merger from hell popped up on the scene. <laughs> yeah, mean, and, and, and this, this is we okay. We, we we've been we've been losing the battles since two thousand about two thousand. Now yeah, I, okay. So I uh, I should tell you I was on the FCC's Consumer Advisory Committee in two thousand and three. I had a front row seat to this whole thing. I actually outed the committee. Because at least a third of the, of the consumer groups were basically funded by the phone companies, <laughs> and, one, and they were all coming out of one office by a, called, a group called Issue Dynamics that was a, uh, a public affairs group run by a guy named Sam Simon. And Sam Simon was able to get the Everett T. Parker uh, Ethics Award in Telecommunications because he <laughs> because he. Basically, his group was one of the sponsors. <laughs> no, no, so I'm no. Sitting there, so, so I'm sitting there. Okay, so, so I'm sitting there with, with a couple with another guy named Tom Alabone, who's a, been an auditor for 30 years. You know, worked for the phone companies. Now is an independent. And basically, uh, we we had done a study about Verizon in New York, and we went through the bills, and we found that there was 156 violations of the Truth and Billing laws. Mm-hmm. Because every everything that was on that bill was basically manipulated. They, you know, they used words that were not supposed to be there. They basically uh, uh, they violated pretty much everything you could possibly think of, and that's why phone bills are unreadable. Mm. You, you know, there's no Rosetta Stone to figure out your taxes, fees, and surcharges on purpose. Because if they, if everybody knew what they were paying, they'd get pissed off. <laughs> right. So I'm, we we write a report. We want to do a hearing a meeting called Truth and Billing. We are told we can't present. And then they had a meeting called Truth and Billing with the head of the Phone Company Association, the, phone, the Wireless Association, and I think it was an advocate's office who basically uh, didn't really have the data that we had. And I, so I, I called the, New York, the Washington Post. I got them to out the uh, committee. Uh, Verizon, by the way, was the longest standing member of this committee. <laughs> wow. And uh, we were not asked back. And mm-hmm. Verizon is still on the committee. <laughs> well, and so, and so that go. was so that was like an, an eye opener going. And and all these committees that they create are basically you know set up as front groups. I mean, this whole thing for Connect to Compete, which is the uh, which was used as a you know human shield of nonprofits, so that they put past the uh, the national broadband plan. National broadband plan was raised the rates five different ways and added new taxes um, in in multiple ways. It was unbelievable. There's a new charge on everybody's bill called a uh, ARC, access recovery charge, that was added because they could. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so now, my, my feeling now is, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, my my feeling now is, you know, it's time to challenge them. It's not it's not time to just sort of, you know, pl- uh, play with play patsy with them. It's time to basically call their bluff. And I think that this has to be done with legal challenges. Because I think we're past the point of actually saying, "Oh, we'll take care of this," and, and uh, you know, we're good guys. Just let us do what we're going to do. That that point is gone. Right. They've already, they've already used up their welcome. Right. No, I, I I agree. Let's talk about the. Um, you know, we've talked about the activity of the 
uh, incumbents and, and how they have done what they have done. But let's talk about the real, uh, you know, and, and, and the fact that people need to expose that and understand that that's going on. But I think another right. piece of knowledge in this that needs to be put out there is what are we actually seeing? Because people look at places such as New York City. You know, it is the financial center of the, you know, free world, if you will. You look at right. Silicon Valley. The, the, the bedrock of technology development and, and advancement. You've got the 128 corridor up in Boston. In all of these major metropolitan areas that are not only population centers, but are key to some element of our industry, our financial world, what have you, they are riding on top of an infrastructure that is woefully inadequate now, this is my, judge, you know, my, my assessment, and you can tell me where I'm right or wrong, but it is woefully right. inadequate for the demands that those type of industries put on it or would put on it if there was actually better technology. Is that a well, fair reading? Am I too biased? What do you think? Well, I actually, I actually was uh, in, in the article that I wrote. I actually uh, interviewed uh, Dana Spiegel, who Dana has been the uh, leader of the NYC, the, uh, NYC Wireless. And since mm-hmm. everybody's going wireless, everybody, you know, and, and they've been they've been responsible for wiring most of the parks and uh, places um, and, and the public interest things in New York City. And uh, they can't get adequate broadband to do the wireless things. And we had a long conversation about this, and he said, you know, uh, wireless can't handle, you know, the building, a lot of the buildings, because mainly they're solid brick, and mm-hmm. the signals don't go through, and you can't get uh, good ba- uh, backhaul, uh, i.e. the wire to the, to the uh, hotspot, um, because Verizon doesn't do commercial buildings. And, and so you have, in New York, you know, the, the tech meetup, uh, which has uh, which has been very vocal. Tech Meetup has, I think, thirty thousand members in New York. New York is is supposedly you know the second largest hub of tech in the country. Uh, they've come out against the uh, against the situation multiple times. They you know I mean I quoted one guy. He said the secret about New York is that the that uh, the broadband sucks. <laughs> mm-hmm. can't, can't say more. So uh, and I think you know these these people are actually been trying to drive the agenda to go out and get the city wired. The problem is, is they aren't telecom people and don't understand a lot of the details. So they have ideas about what to do, but you know, they're sort of all high in the sky. Like, for example, a lot of them want to do what I call you know, bypass. Now, bypass is great in some cities. You know, Chattanooga, uh, Tennessee, and Lafayette, uh, Louisiana, and a bunch of other players have done as well. But New York City is, and all the big cities have not, had, have not done anything like that. And the wiring is a lot of it's already there. The problem is is getting access to that wire, and and that's where I think is the big thing. But it's really it harms the tech community um, in that we as as a leader in technology are going to get our ass kicked by the other countries because they'll come up with things faster and sooner. And while we may have some you know wit, the thing I, the, the problem we have, which is funny, is I call it the uh, shiny bauble syndrome. Mm-hmm. Where you have this cute little phone, and you look at it, and you stare at it, and, and all the screen moves, and it's sort of like, you know, you're mesmerized. And so, you, you know, oh, the phone looks great, the phone looks great. Oh, but then, you know, but the speeds aren't great. So I think, I think the city itself, you know, New York has woken up, at least with de Blasio, and, and I think that these last couple of days, the statements that he's made uh, indicate that we are, on the, are going on a different path than we did before to get New York City wired. The Blasio's focus has been mainly residential um, and low income, and that's the part that's actually been sort of you know ignored. However, the whole issue of the tech community and the small business and the startups um, has never been properly addressed, and I guarantee you it will be in the next couple of months in New York, mm-hmm. because the tech community has been very vocal about this, and I think the Blasio is listening to them. Mm-hmm. The other cities. As my concern is, the other cities basically, and maybe maybe this will sh- be a, be a shining light for the rest of the country. I'm not sure yet, but that's and, what my and, hope is. Right, because if you follow if you follow that train of thought, the next logical place where this activity should happen should be Silicon Valley, 
I mean, if you look at the fact that from uh, San Jose to San Francisco um, is this incredible number of technology companies that are basically the heart of the industry. It's the birthplace and all of that. You know, it's not just, you know, Chamber of Commerce propaganda. However, they all seem to be suffering in silence about the fact that there's, there's no, you know, fiber everywhere. And, 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 and the irony, at least until yesterday, the irony is that, you know, Google, who is in the valley, has gone everywhere else. And, you know, and their claim for doing that is because California has a particularly nasty uh, requirement that basically is an environmental protection requirement. And it's a bear to get around. I mean, make no mistake about it. And you can be challenged every step of the way which is a legitimate gripe. I don't say it's not a legitimate gripe, but the, but the reality comes back to um, these cities, with the exception of places like Santa Clara, which has its own uh, network. Uh, San Francisco is trying to move in that direction. And then yesterday, Google listed in its short list of cities it plans to go to next, San Jose. But the, right. the level of activism relative to the to the amount of or, you know the the full on lack of fiber infrastructure is amazing to me and i think part of that is um the tech companies in silicon valley historically meaning from the 70s and the 80s have refused to become politically active you know with the exception of the larger companies like apple and what have you but as a philosophy you know a lot of these entrepreneurs would rather die than go to uh, you know a, a state legislative meeting. They'd rather die than admit that you know the government has a role in balancing the scales uh, you know relative to infrastructure and those kinds of things. I mean, there is right. a mindset now. Is it is your impression that the mindset among technologists in New York City is very different than that? I, I my 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 okay. I, I just sent you a link to, to which you may want to post to the uh, about California. California was supposed to be wired by 2000, including San Jose, yeah. San Francisco, L.A., and San Diego. They actually started doing running the wires in 1994 and 95, and then when SBC bought uh, Pat Bell and merged with it, they closed everything that was being done in 97. But they collected in rates uh, half a billion dollars a year extra, and that and that money has never been taken out of the uh, rate base. So there's plenty of money to go out and do the wiring if the if the companies actually wanted to do the wiring properly. The problem I, that I've had with the tech community in general is while they personally get it, the large corporations don't want to go out and confront the large corporations. <laughs> because they, and, and this and this is a fact on all levels. I, I had a couple of meetings in the last week with people from the real estate industry, from other major large companies that shall remain nameless, and uh, and the conversation that I had was very straightforward, which is is companies like no regulation on themselves, but they want regulation on the others. However, they don't want to attack any of the large companies. Period, because they feel that it's you know it's almost like an etiquette. Which is kind of funny. So you you know you won't get and this is, I don't know I don't know what Walmart's position is, but you won't get Walmart to come after come out about against against Verizon and or or one of the other companies you know some of the banks against Verizon in say California, even though they are paying you know double or triple what they should, they don't they don't get it. And so my feeling has been about the large corporations, not you know the large tech communities. They mm -hmm. like Oracle and uh, Microsoft and Apple. They all have deals with the phone companies. Google, they all have deals. So they're not going to say anything. They're not going to go be aggressive. Cisco, you know, you would think that these guys would, you know, defend the public, but they're not. They, they're, they're, uh, they're, but, you know, they, they know, you know, uh, they all have uh, router contracts and database contracts and, you know, wireless contracts, all those stuff. The people that are actually noisy, and I think this is an important point, in New York are the small startups. And the investment companies in the startups, because they're the ones who basically, you know, are in these offices along in the middle of Manhattan. They can't get wires. And I think though the the I think across the United States, it's really the startups 
and the small tech groups that are actually are going to get noisy if if, if it, anybody. Okay. It won't be it won't be like it won't it won't be silicon it won't be the uh, Silicon Valley. You know, it won't be them because they're not going to stand up. They're not going to stand up for anybody. Okay, hold on one second. There might be a caller on the line from the 508 area code. Hi, is there a caller here? There sure is, Craig. Hey, how are you doing? Hey, Bruce. Chuck Sherwood here. Just wanted to clarify something you said a minute ago before uh, you know you you had Bruce <coughs> start uh, carrying on. Um, Google in no way is promising to build Google infrastructure in 34 municipalities or nine regions. Google is basically doing yet another beauty contest. You will have to go ahead and do all of the scut work to make them want to go ahead and do the same dirty deal that they did in Kansas City and in Provo. Uh, You have to be very, very careful about stating that Google intends to do this. I have been reading since yesterday's announcement and in today's, as I've been scooping in articles into my e-zine, surfing the broadband bitstream, too many people are saying Google is going to do it. This is a beauty contest. And only if you give them free access to your rights away, free access to your telecom infrastructure, you know, that's the only way they're going to go ahead. They, they are just as bad as the phone companies and the cable companies. They want no regulation. They don't want to pay any kind of fees for the use of the public rights away. So just to throw that little hand grenade into your conversation, Google is not a savior of anybody. Google has long ago stopped do no evil as their mantra. And I think it's probably a good point to uh, address the issue of, um, you know, there, I, I wrote an article in GigaOM last Friday or over the weekend that addressed the deal that uh, this company, this Australian company, uh, Macquarie, uh, has struck with um, Utopia, the, the 11 cities in that regional um Consortium, and, and right, which is exactly, and that's exactly why that bill has now been thrown into the Utah legislature. They don't want any competition. They have been trying to kill uh, Utopia for years and years and years, and this is just their latest attempt. Because other stuff that I've been reading about that Australian investment firm is that they're putting a very small amount of their capital into the Utopia deal, and they could well be scared off from investing in community and municipal networks all over the country because of this. Right, and I think it's a battle that's going to have to be fought and won to uh, ensure that they go, you know, that they stay the course. And, and, and I think you're right. I mean, if you look at the deals, because, I mean, Google offers one set of deals. Basically, you know, lower the barriers, we'll come in. And, you know, they, they basically, um, you know, backhanded Overton, uh, Overton, Overton uh, Kansas, right, because those guys were saying, well, we don't want that deal. We want a better deal, right? And they just basically said, okay, fine. Well, then we'll just, you know, screw you. We're done. And and it was exactly. a public it was a public spanking. So what you have with the Macquarie deal is them coming in saying we will uh, adhere to open access, we will give you favorable terms, we will do revenue sharing. In other words, to me it is the ideal kind of public private partnership because the community doesn't get thoroughly screwed in the deal. Now I haven't read the fine print. And there, there were questions that actually came up. But it was interesting when the article came out, 
um, in, in GigaOM, and this guy from somewhere, and I, I won't assume where he came from, but, you know, it was all these questions about, well, how do you know Macquarie is, is the real deal, and um, how do you, you know, justify this difference of, you know, $2,000 a home that Macquarie is willing to invest, you know, when you calculate the total dollars for the number of households, you know, versus $500 that Google, uh, you know, has committed to the Provo build-out. Plus, you don't get to keep the network when, when it's over. I mean, basically, in, in Utopia cities, you get to keep it. In Provo, you don't. Um, and I think Exactly. Terms, I mean, you know, Google, like I said a minute ago, and I'm, then I'm going to jump off and continue listening to you, you two because uh, you, you have struck a major home run and gold mine of information with Bruce. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, I, I but, you have to say that. <laughs> No worries, no worries. Okay, so, guys, okay, ha- Nick, have so, at it because this, this, this is important stuff that lots of people need to hear. Okay, thank you. Have a great Thanks. day. You too. Thanks a lot. So, so Bruce, let's come back to this uh, discussion. I've got to write a piece, uh, hopefully this week, though, um, that will look at um, this, this uh, Google and Macquarie, and then there's a company out of the south called Seaspire, which is also going in to build infrastructure. They've targeted uh, three cities, and it seems like a similar kind of, you know, we are investing some amount of dollars and resources to building this network. Um, to me, their biggest advantage, though some on the, on the progressive side of the house disagree, is that it offers a counterpoint if in not exactly a, a direct competitor to Google, but it offers talking points and a certain reality that, you know what, if you are a city and you are doing a deal to bring in a private company, you know, you've gone and tried to get the stuff out of Verizon and those folks and, and you've gotten nowhere, and now here comes Google, right? right? Um, the, yep. the key thing that comes out of this is you've got to negotiate contracts in which your assets stay protected. And that's the main message. And and then, so are there other organizations, are there companies, are there uh, consortia? I mean, what out there is there that cities should try to explore? Because Utopia went looking for a better benefactor. That's how they, my understanding is that's, that's how they found Macquarie, right? They went looking for a better deal, right? Should the, right. should the mindset of the people out there, you know, listening to the show be rather than to, you know, go running after one company and rolling over and giving away all of their assets, the city should be going and looking at other options because there are other options. Well, yeah, first I have to say that this, there are a bunch of uh, of companies out there uh, that are that are doing a good uh, a good doing a good thing. There's a Sonic Net in California. Mm-hmm. There's Stealth in New York, and they're doing fiber. And there's a bunch of other companies, you know, that uh, that I don't want to overlook. Both of them are, are still very small, but they're still they're fighting the good fight. Mm-hmm. My feeling has been, my feeling has been though that this, these places should start waking up to the fact that if they paid for the infrastructure, it's theirs, and that essentially it should be opened, and that it, other competitors should be using the same infrastructure. You know, New York City has a thing called Empire. Empire Subway, which is the wiring that goes in the subways in New York, and it's, the subways go everywhere. So there's a lot of you know those wires. Should, those wires should be able to be used by anybody anytime as competitors. The wiring mm-hmm. that that, uh, fi- that uh, Verizon is putting on in FiOS. If customers paid for the wiring to be put in, then it should be an open network. And the, and most comp- most most people haven't bothered to examine the data to find out whether or not the you know the the, comp- the company has shifted the the construction budgets into having the the re- you know the regulated side of the business pay for it which as far as that's what we found and so from my perspective it's time for people to wake up going wait a second if we're paying for these networks they're ours you know Verizon and AT&T keep claiming that this broadband network that they are building is separate and different than the PSTN AT&T is using the PSTN wires is AT&T paying its full share back to the utility to use those wires? No. Guaranteed, because if they did, then the prices wouldn't keep going up in California. Same thing in New York. 
If Verizon, if the Verizon Fios was paying its fair share, then you can't have a couple hundred percent increase. And you know, the increase since 2008 in New York was 56, was 84 percent. That's only on one, on the main service. On other service, it was 150 or 200. I mean, uh, you know, inside wire maintenance, which is most people don't even know they're paying for, was a dollar twenty-four nineteen eighty, and now it's seven dollars and ninety-nine cents. And 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 the, the people that use it the most are seniors. They don't even know it's on their bill. You know, you see all these line items. It says it says uh, nobody could read their bill, so it says you know, fi- uh, it says FCC line charge, which is direct revenue back to the phone company. And you see inside wire uh, maintenance or something, or you know, some, whatever the name for it. How would you know what it is? And so a lot of so nobody's actually audited the books. Nobody's actually said, you know, we paid for this stuff. Why is why are they keeping it? And I would argue that if customers are paying for it, it isn't the company's private property for private use. It was publicly funded assets that the company has been taking over and moving into a non-regulated business. And that uh, may be illegal because you're not supposed to have a uh, regulated side of the business pay for uh, all of the deregulated, non-regulated, forbeared services. So my feeling is, is you know, the, the city should wake up and say, how much money did we pay in? You know, um, how much did, did uh, how much, where's, you know, where's all this money coming from for these guys to build this stuff? Why is, uh, why is Verizon New York losing, lost $2 billion in one year? How could that be if Fios is profitable? And the answer is, is it can. <laughs> mm-hmm. it has, mm-hmm. There has to be, you know, there's some logic to this. Anybody who's ever looked at a financial statement knows that if you lose $2 billion in one year, you'd be out of business if you keep losing money every year. And guess what? Verizon New York has lost money every year for the last eight years. How is that possible? Because all the money is being, being put into these other buckets. And so I think, this, I think the, the, my message you know, to anybody in a municipality is audit the books. Find out, you know, how much money they've been collecting and where it all went. Take a, you know, take a phone bill. Says, okay, where's this line item going? Now, if you look at a normal phone bill these days of a, of a triple play from Verizon, for example, we audit phone bills, you find out that there's four of the companies represented on that bill. Hmm. And are they paying for the use of the bill? Did they, did they pay for the billing? Did they pay for all of the other charges? Did they pay back to, you know, to, to pay for the, the postage? Did they pay for the advertising that goes into the insert? I mean, there's all these little things that basically, you know, these companies have basically been deal- doing. So I'll give you another example, directory assistance. You know, it used to be in New York it was six free and then it was uh, 10 cents each. Now it's a dollar, I think it's $1.99 and no free. And where's the money going? It doesn't go back to the local phone company, even though, they own the four, even though they're supposed to own the 411 networks. It goes to a different bucket. And this is the same with all of the services, the online service, the, the, internet, you know, the, the internet service, the broadband service. All of these things are basically getting free rides. Now, it's also happening in the cable industry. According to the 2012 annual report, Time Warner's profits on internet was 96%. And why? How could it be 96%? The answer is because all the expenses are being dumped into the basic rates. So they can have rate increases. The rate, you know, the rates for basic standalone cable service. Uh, uh, last time I looked, was up to sixty bucks in New York. It should be twenty. It should be thirty, but no, no, it's not. And then they, and then on top of that, they charge ten dollars for the uh, for the, uh, the set top box on the top of the uh, in New York per month. Nobody's auditing this. They've been deregulated. Nobody's actually looking at the books. Nobody's actually even questioned it. So my take is, it's time, for, it's time for people to go, excuse me, where's all the money? What, where, you know, and in New York, we have the numbers, and they will be made right. public in the next couple of months. And the now thing is, I'm going to have to cut you off there because we are almost out of time, and I've been so enraptured, I almost forgot what time it was. But uh, this has been excellent. I had a great time. It's obviously not yep. the end because this discussion is going to go on, and um, you got to out as soon as you know the name of the book, let me know and I'll get it out on Twitter and all those other kind of places. Um, you know, Great. there's a lot of food for thought here, and I think people who have listened to the show should probably go back and listen to it again because Bruce gave some very specific lines of attack, and we've got to take advantage of those because unless we do, it's only going to get worse. And if this merger goes through with Comcast and Time Warner, it's only right. going to get worse. But we have a final. I'm going to, s- I'm going to send you. Right, I'm going to send you a link of the uh, the stuff that we have in New York that's been filed 
uh, and there is a current act- action going on. And uh, people can read the report. They can read what we filed. They can see all the data. They can see all the cross-subsidization. All right. And with that, and with that we're going to say goodbye, and thank you to our audience for being with us once again. Uh, we'll be back again here next week. Thank you, and have a great day.